ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the premiere episode of The Devil's Due. I am your host, Carl Duty, and with me for the first time and hopefully many times to come is my co-host, Mr. Drew Celestino. Drew! Oh, hi. We're here. We are here. We're doing it. You're optimistic. I am very optimistic. This is going to be a blast. All right. I'm happy you're happy. And I'm happy that you have a smile on your face, possibly hiding some anger over early technical difficulties. Um, well, for those of you who don't you know, know how a podcast works, it's pretty simple. But if you want it to sound reasonably decent, you need some equipment and, and toys and stuff. And unfortunately, like I, I kind of put all my podcasting stuff in a drawer after my last podcast ended. So I, I had to dig it out and put it all back together again and and here it is that's okay we're doing a good job so far i think we sound silky smooth on the microphone silky smooth silky so nice okay so this is our first episode uh we are very excited about this show we're glad that you've decided to give us a shot and listen to us of all the podcasts out there you have to choose from the show is called the devil's do and if you have seen our facebook page at facebook.com slash devil's do pod or you can follow us on twitter at devil's do pod also we have email do people use email anymore? No. Okay. But we have it. But we have it. You never know. One day, you know, if this show catches on, sponsors might want to get in contact with us. You never know. Oh, you're you're so wide eyed and so bushy tailed right now. <laughs> so optimistic. Give it give it like good. get it halfway through like our, our first season before my feelings get crushed. Let me have my, my blind optimism. Our email is the devil's due at gmail.com. So if you want to reach us out, you can follow us on any of those social media formats. For our first episode, we're going to keep it kind of basic, straightforward. We're going to give you some backgrounds to ourselves, how we came to know the character Daredevil. And then we're going to launch into the first episode of the Netflix Daredevil show. So you're saying the show, this show, is about Daredevil? This show itself, yes. Largely, mainly. Mainly. Mainly about Daredevil. We are children of geek culture, so we're going to be doing some other stuff here and there. Uh, But for this show right now, we're just going to kind of keep it bare bones to give you a nice introduction to us and introduction to the show. In the future, we'll be doing different things. We're going to try out different uh, segments on the show. We will, some episodes we've discussed, we're going to do episode commentaries in which you can just watch the episode and turn the volume down, kind of follow along with us as we just commentate the episode. For for the big ones, the good ones. For the big ones. Yeah, the Um, landmark ones. Most episodes, though, we will just be doing a basic discussion on it. So, and if you agree with what we're discussing or if you don't agree and you have our opinions, by all means, feel free to shoot us those at those uh, resources that we mentioned earlier, the Twitter page, the Facebook page. We'll be checking those. Might even check the email once in a while. Once in a great while. Once in a great while. In my experience, once a month, you're 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 pretty good. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. <laughs> so, Drew, yes, um, sir. You are, as far as Daredevil goes, you mm. are a much more established fan than I am. You've been with the Guardian of Hell's Kitchen as a fan longer than I have. Tell the listeners how did you discover the character? How did you come to know the character? Well. Okay, so we have to kind of like place things into a perspective, right? So I am going to be 34. That's painful to say, but yeah, whatever. Yeah. Oh, I, I feel so sorry for you as I'm You're in the ballpark. 39. You're, you're fine. See, we're all, it's a good five-year swing. It's all good. <laughs> we've so, got our rocking chairs, we've got our lawns, and we want oh, the dude, kids to stay off. Exactly. Get off of my lawn, please. <laughs> um, in any case, so it puts me into a time frame where my introduction to daredevil would have been like the late 80s i would say early 90s but at that time i didn't really care too much about the character so he looked cool and that's about all i knew so i had the marvel the marvel trading cards i think that might have been a lot of people's introduction to a lot of marvel characters of my generation to be honest Mm -hmm. with you not the comics themselves like the cards yeah but one drove the other so you know it's all good um i don't remember a ton of from the first series of the... I mean, I have them, but I'm saying Daredevil specifically. The first series of cards, I wasn't too impressed with Daredevil. Series 2, with the John Romita Jr. art on the trading card, that one was very striking to me. And I thought he looked really cool. 
But that still wasn't enough to necessarily get me to read Daredevil on any sort of regularity. I still didn't understand what the character was about and like the whole street level thing, the Hell's Kitchen thing. It, it you know, these concepts to a ten year old were are kind of nebulous, you know. So, but the hey, the trading card looked really cool, and I had an H. I was an HBO in the '90s kid, and on HBO in the '90s there was a lot of fine programming especially late at night when you're a young lad but in any case there was also uh, a show it was like one of those like cautionary tale kind of shows and it was called like uh oh damn what was it called i want to say families in crisis or something like that and it was like true stories like about one of, the, one of their docudramas yeah a little half hour okay. docudramas yeah. right ben affleck was in one by the way oh bringing it all and, oh my god it just this just dawned on me now that show had has two, not one, but two Daredevil connections, and I bet we could find more if we really dug. But okay, so on this HBO program, one of the episodes was about a kid, uh, the Joey DePaulo story. I'll never forget it. He was a kid in the '80s who got uh, AIDS from a blood transfusion when he was a kid. I remember that. Yeah. Now, pretty heavy stuff. They showed this on HBO all the time. Though it was like it was like on repeat. In, yeah, in it was the 90s. before they had that real catalog of. Movies like stuff and that they could just in Game of Game into. of Thrones was not even a glimmer in, in anyone's eye. Um, anyway, that kid in the in the show, his favorite character, bar none, was Daredevil. To the point where, like, they had a scene in the show where they opened up the pack of the Marvel cards and they had the Daredevil. They got the card and they were all excited about it. And Daredevil was like the kid's favorite superhero, and that was kind of like Daredevil, the man without fear. They said like the man without fear. I was like, oh, okay, cool. So that was kind of like my initial impression of Daredevil for a long, long time. Um, then I remember when he, uh, in the 90s, as, as you know, was the style at the time, everyone got uh, a new and edgy costume. Oh, yes. Daredevil was not excused from this. Nope. Uh, he got the armored costume, the black and red one, which ironically, if you kind of look back on it, was ahead of its time. Yeah. If Now, now that we have the show, but yeah. in any it's case... Like, if you... Take away, and this is just a, a slight quick rabbit trail. If you take away his traditional costume design, the armor costume is not a super horrible design. Compared to what other characters at the time were going yeah. through with costumes, Daredevil, his was one of the better ones, I will say. Honestly. Yeah. Like, if you take off the armor shoulder pads, sure. it's a pretty solid costume. Right. But, under, but again, at the, as a kid, I, I didn't know much. So, I was like, whatever. Yeah. I think it looks okay. I don't know. What, what, what people mad? Well, people were mad because that look for that character didn't make any sense. He wasn't, yeah. he wasn't this, like, armored-up superhero. He was a street-level vigilante. And, again, it was one of those things that I didn't really appreciate then. So, fast forward many years, and... I you know didn't think too much of Daredevil until somewhere in the early 2000s when I heard nothing but great things about this legendary run happening on the book by Brian Michael Bendis and Alex Maleev. Mm. So I dove in headlong around that era. I don't remember what arc it was that really sunk me in, but once I got in, I was in. And yeah. Daredevil and I, since that point, that you've been that, good he's you've my been, boy daredevil friends. is my absolute favorite character in the marvel universe um i you know the whole street level thing is is i i i those tales are cooler to me and more relatable than yeah. the big grandiose uh superheroing and avenging and and whatnot we're gonna go deep into the concept of the street level versus the super hero sure on our sure next episode okay all right because that that episode two of first season is when you really get an appreciation for the street level yeah hero. i mean that's not the only reason i i like the character i mean i there's a lot of things i like about the character but like he is largely a regular dude and i except for the you know the senses and all that sure obviously, obviously. but he's not super strong he you know doesn't heal fast. He gets his ass handed to him a lot, you know? Yeah. And more so than that, he makes a lot of bad decisions. <laughs> like, he, he really does. Uh, in the show, they haven't quite gotten there yet, but in the comics, man, he makes bad choices yeah. a lot. And a lot of the drama of the book is seeing how those play out and how he fixes himself after things go wrong. 
And I don't know. To me, that's that's interesting. It's more interesting than you know a guy who has no problems at all. Like you know, not your your favorite character, for instance, Spider Man. Now, Spidey, his reputation is that of the hard luck loser. But when yeah. you really break him down, it's like, dude, you're you're you know. You, you get some pretty fly chicks. <laughs> you're working pretty steady. Yeah. You know, yeah. all things considered, dude, you're, you're doing okay. <laughs> Especially now. Yeah. He's doing yeah. The comic books now. Anyway, that's, yeah. that's my, uh, that's, uh, me and Daredevil have been tight ever since with, uh, some limited deviations in that time frame. but I don't blame the character. I blame some, uh, editorially driven poor arcs and writers yeah. for that. But ver- that's, that's, that's a blip on the radar in the last, uh, 15 years of the character's history, in my opinion. Awesome. Um, before I get into my origins with the character, just a, some background. Obviously, uh, if you're listening to this show, you're either interested in or have already watched and maybe be rewatching with us the Daredevil Netflix series, and that may be your first introduction to the character. As we know, we're kind of living in a, a new golden age now of comic knowledge being in the mainstream with the Marvel films and just not just the Marvel films, just kind of everything geek culture is. People are jacked for Suicide Squad, dude. If you would have told me that five years ago, I would have called you yeah. a liar, if much you, less if 10 years ago. you said that we're going to have a Suicide Squad movie, I've been like, the. No, I, I still don't care, but I yeah, know I people just, are excited yeah. about it, and it's pretty wild to see. It, it looks better than yeah. The, Leave that on another show. Yeah, yeah. That's fine. So, just to give you the listener a quick background, if you're not familiar with the character from where he comes from, Daredevil is part of the Marvel Big Bang uh, genesis of the the Marvel Age back in the mid '60s. Daredevil was. Were, created, were you alive back then? I was not. Oh, okay. Stop. <laughs> take my hearing aid out and whip it at you. Goddamn. Uh, Daredevil was created by co-created by Bill Everett and Marvel legend Stan Lee, with a little bit of Kirby mixed in. Mm-hmm. Daredevil number one premiered in April of 1964, and is. Many of us know he did not premiere in the traditional red outfit. He was in a brown and yellow outfit. Yeah. Which lasted till issue seven, I believe. Not super long. Yeah. Did not last long. And like so many Marvel color changes early in the day was simply done on convenience because of either one color ink ran out or they just said, eh, it looks better like this. Go ahead and do it. Well, that and the old joke, as the old joke goes, it his original costume looked like it was designed by a blind guy. Yeah. There you go. So, so as far as my origin with character goes, it goes back actually to the uh, movie, the original Daredevil movie. Yeah, yeah. Reflect. Yeah. Um, I was a comic reader, of course, at the time, as you mentioned, my favorite character being Spider-Man. Uh, given that time, I was probably reading predominantly Marvel books. Um, so I knew of Daredevil. He was on my radar, so to speak. Uh, but I didn't know... Like, I knew his name was Matt Murdock. I knew he had... I knew the basics. Like you said, that Marvel card statute basics is what I knew. Then they announced they're doing the movie. And I'm interested to go see the movie, but I decided I want to learn a little bit about the character before I see the movie. So I ended up picking up the trade of Guardian Devil, which was... Kevin Smith. The Kevin Smith, Joe Quesada... Uh, landmark run that was the first marvel knight series that was the book that saved marvel comics yeah Uh, very very literally now we'll we'll get into that later did did kevin smith do daredevil first and then green arrow that is correct okay so this book which normally wouldn't get a lot of coverage within the normal comics world gets mainstream media coverage because you have a film director kevin smith coming to write a comic book, which at the time was unheard of. So this book comes out, and it's a, a landmark run, and it's a couple years later that the the movie's coming out. So I decided to go pick up the trade, and I read the trade, and it is fantastic. Uh, Guardian Devil is probably one of the, I would put it in the probably top five Daredevil story arcs. But definitely one of the key ones you want to read if you want to get to know the character saying that though, I want to caution you, dear listener. There are some things that happen in the guardian devil storyline that most likely at some point will happen in the television show that have <laughs> not happened yet. So if you want to avoid spoilers, you may want to hold off, but that aside, 
I read Guardian Devil, loved it. I saw the Daredevil movie, and my initial reaction to it was that I liked it, only because when you compare it to what was out at the time, I don't. A lot of times, with a lot of comic book movies that happened prior to two thousand eight, I don't think it's always fair to compare it to what has come since two thousand eight. Because that's just on a whole nother level. So I compared the original Daredevil movie to what was out at the time. And I think at the time, while not a outrageously fantastic movie. No. And completely understandable no. why it did not get a sequel. It is definitely not the worst movie that was out there at the time. No. Uh, we could I mean, we could probably do an episode yeah, we'll, of, we'll, about that movie. I have a lot of thoughts on it. Some yeah. positive, some not so positive. Yeah, but. we'll definitely hit that on a future episode. But, um, but I became more aware of the character. I started reading Daredevil Monthly on the beginning of the Mark Wade run. It's a good run. It's a very good run. I enjoyed it a lot and still reading it to this day. And then, of course, the television series came out and just, wow. Yeah. Yeah. Now let's let's do a quick let's do a so, quick like recap of how the television series came into being. Well, okay, so like Marvel Cliff's Notes version. Marvel recovered the rights to. Okay, so getting, let's, let's go back a little on. further. Let's uh, go, let's go to like go. early two thousands. Marvel well, is in dire financial late nineties. Um, the late nineties more more yeah. so. And, and then when Kevin Smith came on board to do Guardian Devil. Marvel had ceded control over a few properties, The Punisher, uh, Daredevil, Black Panther, a um, couple others. I, off the top of my head, I can't, I can't think of them. Ghost Blade. Rider, you're correct, yeah. And they said, you know what, we don't know what to do with these exactly. And they gave control of those books over to Joe Quesada's company at the time. I can't remember the name of it, but it was his company. And they said, here, do something yeah. with this. You're in charge. Put, put it together. So Joe Quesada got Kevin Smith to jump on and do Daredevil. He got um, now. I, unfortunately, there was not uh, Garth Ennis and Steve Dillon did not immediately jump onto the Punisher. There was a, a very ill thought out arc before it. Um, was that Frank and Castle? No, it was comparable though. Frank was uh, an avenging angel. I in, remember in, yeah. that. But in any or case, I, should say I struggle not to remember that. Yeah, we all do. Um, anyway, so Quesada put together these teams on these books, and um, they did really, really well. Now, Kevin Smith obviously brought a lot of uh, star power and, and spotlight yeah. on the Marvel Knights line, and the Daredevil book was like the flagship book of that of the line. Um, the Black Panther run was actually like pretty big too and to this day i think it's still renowned as like that had john the, Romita jr on it no you think that, that was later that? yeah okay. that was a christopher priest run the marvel knights run i believe i'm i don't i'm pretty sure i'm pretty sure it was the christopher priest run it was a marvel knights thing and to this day a lot of people still hold that up as being great so marvel knights was a really big deal marvel knights and the success of the line i'm not even exaggerating when i say it it, it brought marvel out of bankruptcy like yeah. well the movie rights did too but well the movie rights kind of kept them afloat because what what kind of preceded this was that well they sold off spidey's rights they sold off they the x-men everything yeah and just including to, daredevil yeah just to keep they optioned the film rights to the majority of their characters to whoever wanted to pay for them just to keep company afloat so part of that was like i said spider-man who to this day is still I mean, even though he's back home at Marvel now, Sony still technically has the rights to Spider-Man in perpetuity, although they got smart and they buddied up with Marvel again yeah. to make it good. Um, the X-Men are over in Foxland, um, and Daredevil was also at Foxland. That's, mm -hmm. And after the success of the first Spider-Man flick, they put Daredevil into production, and that's how that movie came about. Didn't do so well. Yeah. Um so didn't bomb but didn't perform to expectation correct and there it sat for a long long time and the way these contracts work out with marvel and the studios um except for spider-man and the x-men well i'm pretty sure they all work this way actually um as long as the studios have a movie in a stage of development they maintain the rights and marvel can't do anything with it so daredevil came out underperformed and it sat yeah. And it literally just sat. Now, there was probably some pitches happening somewhere in there for a, a good number of years anyway, until one day I remember reading the headline or the article, like 
by the way, and it was kind of sly, if I remember, like it wasn't a big press release. Someone just like kind of said, hey, uh, just so you know, this happened. Marvel and Fox's deal, Marvel got the rights back to like Ghost Rider, Daredevil, yeah, was, The Punisher. It was big four characters that Fox had outside of X-Men, Daredevil, Ghost Rider, Punisher, and Blade. Yep. And they all just quietly reverted back. And there, yeah. it's, there it stood. Now, what also happened in that time period is Marvel Films, Marvel Studios, blew up big. We're, now, talking, we're at post-2008 Iron Man 1. Correct. Now, the thing with this... So you got to follow along with the timeline here. And again, like we said about the movie rights, Marvel had no access to make profitable films or, or controlling the making of the films of Spider-Man and the X-Men. They're big, yeah. they're, they're big two cash cows. Dude, in the 80s and the 90s, Spider-Man and the X-Men okay. were Marvel. Okay, the Marvel Spider-Man comics were Spider-Man and X-Men. one by Todd McFarlane, and then a couple months afterwards, you had X-Men number one by Jim Lee. And, and Chris I Clark. believe yeah. they're still the one and two best-selling comics, comics ever of all time. So you're talking Marvel's flagship stuff, and yeah. they couldn't translate it to cinema the way they wanted to do it. Yeah. So what did they do? What did they decide to do? They decided to make their own movies. And they couldn't use their flagship characters. And not for nothing, but someone out there who does read the comics is going to yell at me, but like at the time in the 90s and the 2000s, the Avengers, Captain America, Iron Man, these were not great books. No. They just weren't. I'm, I'm sorry. They, to, you know, they were B characters. B. B if not C, honestly. Yeah. Um, the Marvel Knights stuff was really leading the way. So... As Marvel Knights went, the Ultimate line also came out, and those two lines of comics really influenced Marvel Studios. So the movies you see are kind of born from those two lines. Yeah. They, but they integrated them. They started out as being very different, but they eventually kind of migrate. Their, their tone and their beats just became the Marvel style, period for the whole entire Marvel Comics line, yeah. and those lines are now gone. So now it's just all Marvel. But anyway, sorry. I'm, I'm, can, you, can, can you tell I've been reading Marvel Comics for a long time? So Never Marvel, apologize for passion, amigos. Hey. What fuels this show? So you're getting a history lesson. So Marvel Studios, Iron Man, boom, takes off huge. And we know we're building towards the Avengers. And yeah. So, But then Daredevil is still lingering somewhere. And we're, you know, and then you see these movies. You see Iron Man and Captain America and Thor, and they're, very, again, very big very global and universal and galactic yeah. in scale, you know, building to that anyway. So as a, as a Daredevil fan, I'm thinking, well, Marvel could do a, a movie if they, if they wanted to, but seeing the tapestry that Marvel's building on the screen here, I don't know where the heck that would fit. Yeah, because the, the Marvel films, in contrast to a lot of other comic book movies, and I think the services the Marvel movies very well, there's a, a sense of joy. They are they sure. Are, they are bright. They are colorful, and they get um, dark when they have to. They but. do. They do. They they treat the characters and the content with a seriousness that is required to tell a good story. But unlike what we've seen out of DC, which is <laughs> the Murderverse, yeah, it's it's darker. <laughs> it's moodier. It's you don't have that sense of joy that you do in the Marvel films. And like you're saying, Daredevil doesn't quite fit that bright cheerful mold no and and uh even the mark wade series that that got you into the character it's that to me that was jarring in a way because that was as yeah it was, that, was a, signi- that was significantly a brighter shift in tone but even with that shift in tone it still was a, a, a there were undercurrents that were not that were still pretty steeped in in heavy human drama and street level stuff so, Marvel then decides at a certain point, a few years ago, I guess, right? Going on three, yeah. four years ago. Hey, we're going to make our own TV shows. No, not Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. We're going to do something different than Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. We're going to do a Netflix-exclusive series. And from when they, when they announced what they were going to be, it was very clear that they were going to be essentially Marvel Knights series yeah. tv shows they, street level gritty shows they came out and said we're doing daredevil we're doing luke cage we're doing jessica jones we're doing iron fist and then we're bringing them all together for the defenders that is correct and then everybody just went 
Subscribe to Netflix. Yep, basically that. Because by this point, Marvel had built up the cachet with the movies where anything they touch at this point turns to gold. (laughs) But at the same time, I remember that because at this point, after they had made the announcement, like you and I already knew each other at that point, we were discussing like there was, even though it was kind of before that Marvel can do no wrong. I know there are a couple of my friends out there who are kind of rolling their eyes at that, but it's true. Sorry. Deal with it. Um, <laughs> so we were kind of concerned that like, are they going to over polish it? Are they going to make right. it that, that lighter tone? And then like we get casting news and we're like, okay, that seems to make sense. And then we start to get shots and then we get a trailer. Yeah. And then from that first trailer, we're just like, okay, let's go. Sure. Cause it's such the series is such a departure for Marvel tonally, yeah. structurally. Uh, it's it's a whole new ballpark as far as like live action media that they haven't really gone into. And they just, I mean, obviously we're here doing the show. So clearly they hit it out of the park. <laughs> and it was, it's like a completely different side of that Marvel cinematic universe that we are not accustomed to seeing. And they, they pull it off spectacularly well because it doesn't deal with those big galactic global threats it i mean daredevil is it takes place in a neighborhood like you know when you need someone to fight the chitauri as much as we love them you don't call matt no call daredevil you call thor you call iron man you call hulk right um but yeah it just i remember I remember I had like a party in my house for the premiere. I, you, I was there. And you and Jen came and Mike Hoffer was there and everyone else kind of like wasn't really like big comic fans, but they were just kind of coming for a fun time. But I felt even us, us fans, we were a little on edge because yeah. we didn't know. We didn't know what could, to expect. Could be good. They and could then, drop the ball. Yeah, we didn't know. Th- that first episode ended and the three of us just kind of looked at each other like, oh, crap yep this is a game changer this is daredevil this is legitimately daredevil there there's like obviously there are little things you can nitpick here and there that we'll get into throughout the different episodes but it's one of the most most faithful adaptations of a character in a live action format that we've ever seen yeah now you can get into like you said nitpicking details about like its faithfulness and well technically you know this didn't really happen until this particular point in the 1980s and yeah yeah, yeah. Well, you, got, we, you got to swap some what you have to understand is the, the tone yeah. and the characters and the beats are just dead okay so the first episode is called into the ring now a lot of times as we've seen with uh, comic book films a lot of things one thing that fans kind of tend to bemoan is the origin story just because there are so many origin stories and retelling of origin stories that we're familiar with, you can make an easy argument that most people are not familiar with Daredevil's origin and what they do in this first episode when you would think that they would maybe carry out the origin over one or two full episodes. They tackle the origin very quickly. Uh, they get it quick to the point and out of the way pretty quickly yeah like in the first five minutes of the episode as well the powers anyway yeah the blind the blindness yeah how he got the the powers um obviously for those of you do know uh matt murdoch walking as a small kid walking down the street sees a guy crossing the street and a truck uh carrying toxic chemicals uh, is not going to stop for him so matt pushes the guy out of the way the truck swerves and spills uh radioactive chemicals into his face very 1960s marvel origin back when we didn't know what radioactivity did or did not do uh this is how matt got his powers through radioactive goop and all that information you just relayed marvel relays in this show in in five minutes they do It's, it's, it's pretty great it's really good it's efficient and it's completely understandable oh and then we get our first glimpse of the uh nope not yet sorry yeah, the, my uh, bad. The opening credits didn't start what, yet. No, the yeah, the opening credits are a little later in the show. 
we get our first introduction to Matt Murdock in the show. What I like about what they did here is they introduce Matt not as a vigilante, not as a lawyer, but they introduce him as a Catholic. Big character trait of, of good old Matt. Yeah, it's it's something that always uh, kind of attracted me to the character. I, I claim a, a faith of my own, and this is one thing that really drew me to the character is that he is i wouldn't go so far as say devout catholic but he's definitely practicing he practices as a as a recovering catholic i will tell you it's not necessarily something that endears me to him but i understand yeah so a lot of uh, his his tendencies and and his his guilt oh his guilt when very (laughs) deep-seated the catholic guilt is very real very very real what i love about the scene he's in the confessional booth Rewatching this scene, I was reminded how touching it is. And on another level that I can relate to the character is that how he talks about his father. And this is a character who lost his father What's, much sooner than he should have. Sure. For those of you who know, I lost my father uh, six years ago, uh, seven years ago almost. Um, no, six years ago. That and it was obviously earlier than it should have happened, and this this scene was particularly very touching, at least for me on a, on an emotional level. Yeah, like it, that that aspect of the character has always been important. Obviously, it's like like if his origin has two components, part one is the is the radioactive waste, part two is his father getting killed. Yeah, <laughs> well, part two is his father in general, but the exactly. getting killed part especially. Yeah, um, and little little side trivia note to lighten the mood a little bit. The uh, origin of Daredevil is actually the origin of another famous comic book title. Mm-hmm. Uh, a little bit of Heroes in the Half Shell. Yeah, the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Uh, the creators of the Ninja Turtles, Kevin Eastman and Peter Laird, use the origin of Daredevil to spin into the origin of the Ninja Turtles because what they winked, wink hinted at was that uh, the radioactive materials, the toxic materials that spilled out of the truck spilled down into the sewer and found the turtles and splinter and mutated them. And then there's obviously parodies between the foot clan who the turtles fight against and then the hand, the organization of the hand. Yeah. So, and yet there's never been a comic book crossover of these two, which I don't understand. That's a, no there, there kind of should be, there yeah, kind of really should, should be someday. Maybe. The, I mean, come on, Ninja turtles and daredevil caught between a few, between the foot and the hand. That, that, that story writes itself. It really does. That'd be fun. So we're coming up now. And well, now see, see this, the, after that scene with the this is where it kind of gets serious because now we get Turk, which was kind of again all these characters from Daredevil's like even the even the bit players get get, yeah. get a little chance to shine. So Turk, in case you don't know, he he's a goon. He's yeah, a Hell's he's, Kitchen goon. He he's a goon with personality that gets to stay around. Right, right. He was introduced primarily, I believe, in Frank Miller's run. I'm not sure when he was introduced, but I know Miller used him. And a then lot. in Bendis' run, he gets used a lot. And in Bendis' run, Turk gets to run things for a little while. Oh, God. And he, go he screws up colossally. Yeah. But, but, it, 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 but it's still cool. So we've got the scene here. Turk is smuggling women into, obviously, illegal sex trade. And we have our second introduction to Matt, this time as daredevil but right he doesn't proto daredevil kind of yeah proto he doesn't have the name he doesn't have the the costume that we are accustomed to no in this costume um the black the black outfit the you know long sleeve shirt and the and the, the the bandana and all that that's all taken from uh frank miller's the man without fear run with john ramita jr which, which was like a landmark i think marvel was trying to go well they were trying to ca- cash in i guess on uh the dark knight returns at the time, and they but but with, no, this but with one, I think they were trying to cash in Batman Year One more, maybe so a little more Year One. Yeah, you're right. You're right. Origin Man Without Fear is a more in depth origin story right. of Daredevil, and that's what this season takes a lot of its beats from. And we're definitely going to review that comic in a later show. Now we see a first example of the fight choreography here in the show, where Matt is just plowing through these guys. And what I notice about these fight choreographies is that it's not like your traditional movie fight choreography no it's a little more savage it's efficient it's brutal it's what you imagine if this were to happen in some sort of situation this is how fighting would happen it kind of takes its beats from the earlier parts of the nolan batman trilogy 
in the fighting, just showing, just very. But except, I can see what's happening in the in these. Yes, that's true. <laughs> it's not. It's not super time. zoomed in, shaky cam. Yeah. Now um, something happens in this fight that to me was kind of a wink from the filmmakers, from the showrunners, saying, we know what you want. Oh, the little baton action? Here's a little taste. <laughs> Don't worry, we're going to get there, but you're going to have to wait for it a little bit. Well, he, 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 he throws the baton, and you, you get some ricochet effect going. Yeah, yeah. and if you, in case you guys don't read the comics, that's a Daredevil staple move. Yeah, so, it's uh, like Daredevil uses two billy clubs, not completely unlike you know, Spider-Man would use his web shooters. Correct. And... We see here, they do it, and again, like I said, it's the filmmakers kind of winking to us saying, be patient, we're going to get there, but you're going to like the ride. Right. So shortly after this initial fight scene, we, as we mentioned earlier, are treated to what I think is a lost art form in a lot of television nowadays, which is the intro. Intro credits. The well, intro credits, like... You don't get a full-on, full-house sequence here, like, you know, with all the cast, yeah. but but you do get a really cool... Uh, I don't know. The, the music, I think, is good. It's got a nice little theme. The music is fantastic. The effect of the red paint just kind of flowing down. Is it paint? Or, like, I was always... Not for nothing, but I was when I saw it for the you first time, I was like, wow, that's kind of that's, that's kind of graphic like, for Marvel. <laughs> we watching Daredevil or we watching True Blood here? What it are we, was what are we watching? pretty serious, I thought. So, But it just kind of shows in a way, illustrates in some ways how his powers work, his things just kind of coat cover but it, there's like hollow on the inside I never there's thought so, about that there's so many things you can derive from this it's just a such a beautiful sequence and it's one of those things that i don't like a lot of times when you're watching a netflix show or you're rewatching something you kind of skip something i i rarely ever skip this just because it's 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 actually i believe it won a couple awards i like the tune too i'm sorry man i like yeah, i like that nice. i like that it's, song it's subtle yep. it's it conveys the seriousness of the show and, and it's, it's got just enough of a hero beat to it, it without does. being too grandiose. It really does. So after the intro, we are introduced to Matt's partner in crime, Foggy. Foggy. Now, okay, so I'm gonna, I'll get it. we got to get this out of the way. A lot of people, a lot of people, people I know that have watched this show, one of their big hangups is Foggy because his acting can be inconsistent. I actually think in this show, they treat Foggy more seriously than they have in the comics and in any previous incarnations of the character. He gets uh, pretty good treatment in the Bendis and, and Brubaker runs, but I know where you're coming from. He's not a, he's not a joke. He's not a... Yeah. Uh, he's funny, but he's not the butt of the joke, Yeah, if that makes sense. Franklin Nelson, a.k.a. Foggy, is the uh, par- legal partner of... Uh, Matt Murdock and and their college buddies. Yeah, they're college buddies. The, he's more lighthearted. He, you can see he has a good heart, um, but he's also got a good business sense. He's very pragmatic, and he's played by the kid from Mighty Ducks. You gotta love that. He's played. What was his name? Fulton. I don't remember. Fulton Reed, Mighty Ducks. Maybe That's been a long time. But yeah, I think uh, this actor does a really great job. Yeah. Uh, see, that's the thing. Like, some people can't stand him. And I, I'm fine, I'm fine with, with him, and maybe it's just because I'm a Daredevil fan and I'm being forgiving, but I, I like him, and I like his relate. Like, I'm sorry, but the chemistry between the whole cast is fantastic, so really I is. buy his chemistry with Matt. It, it all works. The one thing Marvel, and I would also say DC films, have done pretty solidly is casting. Yeah, Marvel, yeah. And DC. Ding. Cavill, take or leave, but... Cavill's fantastic as Superman. Looks the part, but he's not given much to do. But <laughs> so anyway, Matt and Foggy are establishing uh, Nelson and Murdoch, their law practice, and they're being shown around this law office. I'm doing air quotes because yeah. it's more or less a converted apartment. And here's where we have the connection to the Marvel Cinematic Universe because they reference the events of Avengers the attack on New York City. Yeah, now here's why that's important. There's a lot of reasons why this is important. Number one, to convey the connection to the Marvel Cinematic Universe, which is, you know, important. But it's it's here's the thing, though, in case you don't know this or not, uh, <laughs> there is a slight divide between Marvel TV and Marvel movies. Yes. So fortunate. This, this is as connected as this is. It might not be as connected as we might 
want it to be. But in any case, it's important to establish that connection, which they do. The other reason why this is really important is because for uh, this show to be taken seriously in the year of our Lord 2016 and for them to be in Hell's Kitchen and have it be a crime-ridden cesspool, you need some kind of disaster to explain why there is crime and why there is low property rates in Hell's Kitchen. Because right now in New York City in Hell's Kitchen, if you do not have millions of dollars, you ain't living there. Yeah. The <laughs> Hell's Kitchen, when when Daredevil is created and throughout the majority of the characters run, Hell's Kitchen was not a place he wanted to live. I have a no. friend who lives in Staten Island, and he is just like, no, the not would not be a place you would want to live. It is it's past it's, 10 years or so oh though. my god dude I, i've been it's, there it's bizarre it's been cleaned up oh and how yeah i mean it's it's good that an area like that you no longer have to fear for your life walking down the streets at night yes well you know what you gain you also lose some but that's a discussion for another time oh yeah um that's it, that's for the gentrification the gentrification podcast that we'll do later <laughs> <laughs> in this scene we also have the ideology of matt as a lawyer and as foggy as a lawyer defined as we see matt makes the point that we are here to help people regardless of their financial stature uh their stature in society we are here to help people who need it or as foggy is 95 percent behind that and but he just kind of adds in if they can pay their bills yes. that would be good too not for nothing but they did a good job of that in the uh the the, the fleck movie as well yes john favreau, john favreau was fantastic he was great <laughs> he paid in grouper he was so good they brought him back to direct iron man there you go see see something good came out of daredevil now, after a scene, we are... We get, our, we get a Karen introduction, essentially. We don't know it necessarily at first, though. Exactly. We're introduced to Karen in a vastly different way than we were introduced to Karen in 1964. Back yeah. in 1964, Karen Page is a uh, carbon copy female, uh, not necessarily like sidekick, but female character. Sure. She's a receptionist at Nelson and Murdoch. There's not a lot to her. Here we're introduced to her. She is standing over a corpse, shaking with a bloody knife in her hand, and everything is telling us she has just murdered this guy. Right, right. Um, we cut to Karen in the police custody. And who who defends her? But Who our, happens to show up in Nelson and Murdoch? Of course, of because, course. Because uh, Foggy has his friend on the force who tips him off to the case because they're looking to get clients. Um, there's this meeting scene where foggy and and matt me karen and she describes what happened and we get a first real inkling into right. matt's abilities yep the heartbeat he hears yes. he hears a heartbeat uh daredevil has i'm surprised this is just now that we're touching on this daredevil's abilities are super enhanced senses so like he can hear karen's heartbeat and tell if she is lying or not which is why he can tell in this particular instance she is telling the truth. Now, this shows another way that this show differentiates itself from other superhero shows and films. Because in, in other uh, comic books slash superhero shows and films, powers are very defined, black and white. You know what the character can and can't do. They kind of pace this one out a little bit. You get they glimpses do. of, of yeah. Matt's ability. You, like they, they, they kind of just ask you to put it together for yourself in a way. Exactly. So. And I think in a way this is doing the viewer a service because it's treating the viewer like an intelligent viewer. Yeah. And yeah. not just explaining it to them on a flow chart. Sure. And then, you know, we get, the show really sets a lot of stuff up in the first episode. It really does. Uh, so then you get the introduction to, not so much to the main villain, but his his reach. Wesley. Wesley, who, spoilers, he works for the Kingpin. Yes. Uh, based um, predominantly on the character, the Arranger, from the comic books. Uh, the Arranger was around when uh, Kingpin was predominantly a Spider-Man villain. And he was kind of, you know, he was kind of that finger on the nose that was his name he arranged things for the kingpin yep. meetings things like that assassinations yada yada well here he is telling a guy to kill karen page in her, in her jail cell no no that's not this this is just establishing the reach of fisk because well, this guy just owes debt and they bought his debt 
Right, but he's going to do them a yeah, favor later. Yeah, he'll come back yeah, later, yeah, yeah. but right now... Spoilers, just, sorry. Yeah, they're just kind of establishing the threat right now. Um, I like this character of Wesley. He, he is sinister and creepy while conveying pleasantness and politeness. <laughs> so Those are the guys you got to watch out for. Exactly, and he's just very businesslike about it. Um... Spoilers, guys. I have dogs. So uh, dogs. if you're going to listen to the show with any sort of regularity, you might hear any any number of dogs barking in the background. So, But we like the dogs. They, they add care. The dogs are the characters of the show. One of my dogs is named after Matt Murdock's brief wife, just so you know, in case you didn't know that. I did not know that. Yeah, Mila is named after Mila Donovan, who is uh, Matt's wife in the, in the Bendis series. Oh. Unfortunately, she doesn't meet a very pleasant end. As does most of... I mean, she, she lives, Matt's but, you know, it ain't, it's still not good. So, so, a lot of our episode from there is kind of built around Karen and her case, and is she innocent, is she guilty, what happened, what are the circumstances around what she did? Well, what you kind of come to realize is that she's kind of part of a bigger picture. She's part of a bigger sc- a scheme, one of the Kingpin schemes, but that gets kind of slowly relayed but again yeah. this episode sets up a lot of information up front yeah season premieres are always about asking questions whereas season finales are always about answering questions right so we have a lot of questions here asked uh we could see how nelson and murdoch work as a law firm uh there is predominantly more in this episode uh nelson and murdoch as a law firm than we see matt as daredevil yeah yeah which I think set the pace for the show in a way, because like you knew it wasn't just going to be rooftop beatdowns. You, you were going to get the full character of Matt Murdock, yeah, Franklin Nelson, Karen Page. Like they, you, you know, I, they laid a lot of groundwork, and you got a sense of tone and pace. And as a first episode, that's great. Like they could have just said, you know, we're going to give you all money shots to hook you, but I think the fact that they're on Netflix. They, they knew they didn't have to worry so much about that because yeah. on Netflix, you get 10 episodes at once and it's just like, well, I'm just going to watch the next one anyway. You yeah, don't got to wait a week and be like, you know, eh, that last one was kind of eh. So when Sunday night rolls around, you you could take or leave. They, they tell the story more like you would. They tell the, the story of the season more like you would in a book rather than like a film or a television show because they just have so much more time to work with and they're not really constrained by typical like network television restrictions, things like that. So they try to kill Karen in her cell. Yes. And they fail. They Karen we establish here that Karen is not your typical damsel in distress. No, she can take care of herself. Yeah, she Karen is a fighter. Um what do you think how do you think they did with Karen Page? Good. As far as now that we're we're two seasons in this show I don't want to spoil spoil the. Obviously, no, we're not going to spoil anything that may or may not happen in the future. But like, we obviously love uh, Charlie Cox's Daredevil. We yeah, love yeah. Foggy. We love Vince D'Onofrio's as Fist. You're asking, do we love Karen? Do we love Karen? Yeah, I like Karen. They did okay. good um, because, like you said, in the comics, for uh, you know, here's the thing: it's not just you, you can't just cast Karen in one way. So when she was introduced in the comics, she was a very one dimensional you know, damsel, right? Well, that changes big time in the Frank Miller run. And, you know, more so later on, well, there's, again, she has, she has a lot of ups and downs in her arc. Okay. Yeah. Talking about Karen is going to be hard to do because a lot of stuff that defines Karen has not happened yet. Right. Right. Though it's been hinted at. There are hints and that's okay. So that's why I think they cast her really well because she is not a goody too. She can play good, but yeah. there, there's something behind it, and she conveys that pretty well. And I don't know. I think everyone is cast exceptionally well in this show. No one's really out of place. So Karen tries to get killed in the cell. It fails. Well, she tries. Yeah. They try to, <laughs> they kill, try to kill her. Yeah. They try to kill her in the cell. It fails. So this having failed, the police have to immediately release her. Right. And, and where does she stay? Yeah, exactly. So spoilers, uh, folks. I'm going to let you in on a little secret from a longtime Daredevil fan. One another another one of Daredevil's defining traits on top of, you know, being blind and having super senses and he's a, he's uh a himbo. Oh dude. Daredevil gets around, son. He 
works the blind thing. Oh, like a champ. <laughs> and th- I think they even said it like in the in the show, like they're always banging. And Foggy's just like, how do you know they're hot? How do you always know they're hot? Yeah, exactly. Because he knows. He knows. He's got the senses. Working the angles. Um, so Karen goes to stay with Matt. Now there's this thumb, this flash drive that has this specific information to Union Ally. I just realized is, that Marvel shows have an obsession with thumb drives. They come back around again in Jessica Jones do. as well. <laughs> Jessica Jones, uh, Winter Soldier. Winter Soldier. Oh, my God. You're right. Oh, geez. <laughs> Peeling away layers in the Marvel Universe here on Devil's It's all about Dude. thumb drives. Thumb drives, thumb drives everywhere. So You can stop Thanos with a thumb drive, exactly. theoretically. So... There's this thumb drive that has all this information for Union Allied, which is essentially a front for the Front mob. company, mob. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So Karen has it. She doesn't want Matt and Foggy to know she has it because she doesn't want them to get hurt. But obviously, we see again Daredevil using his abilities can tell that Karen is lying. Right. Now, at in between this and what becomes the, the climax of the first episode, we meet the crime families. Yeah, yeah, we do, and no, and, and, and now here's another again, dude, another bit of friggin' inspired casting. The guy who plays Owlsley, the owl. Well, it, it's it's vague if he's yeah. the owl or the owl's father in this show. You, I, you can kind of read it either way, because obviously he's not like the owl owl like in the comics with the wolverine hair, and the wolverine claws. <laughs> exactly, but like the warden from Shawshank is 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 the owl, and, and it's great. He physically kind of looks like an owl. I know. He's got that nose, that, that curved down nose. It's great. It looks like an owl's beak. It's fantastic. So, yeah, um, Leland Owsley, we meet him. Madame Gao, the Chinese, Madame Gao. head of the Chinese. You get some Russians in here, the and Russians, then, the, then the Japanese show up. And we meet Nobu. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Who is going to have a major part to play coming up. Coming up. As if you've watched show, you know, if you're watching show with us, you're going to love Trust Us. Yeah. Then Wesley shows up, and now you yeah. kind of see that, okay, Wesley, who, again, works for the Kingpin, who we, we, we have not met yet, and you, spoilers, you're not going to meet for a little while on the yeah, show. Yeah, not until I think episode four. Yeah. But here's the genius thing they do with Fisk, the Kingpin. They establish him as a threat, as a threat to be feared without ever showing him on screen or giving him a single line dialogue in this yeah, episode. Yeah, yeah. Simply by not allowing his co-workers, if you will, to speak his name. Yep. Because to speak his name makes him human. And the desired effect is that he is beyond something like that, something that you fear so much that you will not even speak his name. Which is funny, because when we do meet him, he's very, very human. He is. and Like, this, like fragilely human. Uh, a friend of mine had a real problem with how Kingpin was portrayed on the show, because well, he well, felt we could, that... We'll get into that when yeah, we, the, the time comes. Yeah, he felt that it wasn't threatening enough. Oh, this I don't know. <laughs> just as much an origin story for Kingpin as yes, it is for Daredevil. very much. Um... So, but I think I like the dynamic that they do between the crime families. Uh, you could see that there's cooperation, but not necessarily trust. So, yeah, we we, we meet the players, and they all spoilers. They all uh, come into play later on. That's another again the beauty of the TV show is that you have so many episodes to like dive into depth, yeah. and we do get to meet like Daredevil's dealings with all these different crime families, which is pretty cool. Yeah, which um, this brings us to kind of the climactic scene of this first episode, whereas Karen goes back to her apartment to fetch the aforementioned thumb drive. But someone's waiting for her. Someone is waiting, of course, to kill her. And then, of course, Matt shows up to save her. Yep. Now, they could simply do, uh, you know, the hero shows up, saves, saves the girl, beats up the bad guy. But we get another example of the great fight choreography, which is very brutal. Yep. Uh, We get an example of that Matt is still somewhat new to this because he doesn't dominate the fight by any stretch of the imagination. He gets knocked on his ass, and then he gets put down for a minute. Yeah. What I like about the scene is the flashback. Sure. And we get the, the father talking to the son after Matt's father, who is a boxer. 
Yep. Battling Jack Murdoch. Very important the pronunciation. It's not battling. It's battling. Yep. Correct. Jack Murdoch. Uh, battling Jack is not a successful boxer. No. Nope. By any stretch of the imagination. He's. Yeah. He. He's. Hmm. I don't know if I'd call him a full-on jobber in wrestling parlance, but he. He's not. He's not exactly lighting the world on fire. Yeah. He's not. By any means, undefeated, but he's not also winless. Correct. They established that he is good enough to make somewhat of a living at it. And we have this very touching scene between him and Matt where he's just talking to Matt, saying that, you know, you got to do your homework, do your studies, don't end up like me. And it's just like the, the key phrase you take out of the scene is get up, Matt. Yep. And they use that as Matt remembers it. When we flash back forward to the present, he's lying in the rain. And we have that iconic shot that we saw in the early trailers that really led us to believe they were doing the show well with him slowly rising up out of the water, blood dripping down from his lips. And then, of course, Matt goes on to win the fight. Karen is exonerated of the murder. And then at the end of the episode, we get a little nod to the Godfather because Fisk goes about settling family business. You know, the guard that tried to kill Karen in the cell and failed is dealt with. A couple other people are dealt with, and this is all happening in a pleasant car ride conversation. Fisk over the phone with Wesley. We also get the uh, the beginnings of the partnership, or, or the trios, if you will, if you're into, again, once into, yes. into wrestling. Uh, you get uh, Nelson, Murdoch, and Karen, who cannot afford yeah. to pay them. Uh, she decides to become their secretary. She's going to work it off. Yeah, and it's... It's, I have here in my notes, this scene I simply just summed up, Nelson and Murdoch, exclamation point. Yep. Because this is like the the first time we see the full team of Nelson and Murdoch. Nelson and Murdoch. And then as the outro to the show, uh, it sets up the next episode. We get a montage. Get a montage. So Matt goes to the gym. The gym where his father trained, the gym where he spent a lot of time. And that's, if you're a comics fan, by the way, there are some Easter eggs in here there for you. There are tons at Crusher Hogan. Crusher Creel. Cru- no, was it? Oh, no. Crusher Hogan was the guy who wrestled Spider-Man. That's correct. Yeah. Crusher Creel was Absorbing Man? Well, hang on. In the comics, Crusher Hogan. In the movie, Bonesaw. Bonesaw is ready. Played by the late Macho Man Randy Savage. Uh, but yeah, uh, Crusher, Crusher Creel, man. That's the, the Absorbing Man in the comics. And that is the first of many, many small Easter eggs. Oh, wait till we Easter get to egg. Gladiator. And, and, oh, and, and, yeah, yeah. So great. So great. <laughs> but yeah, so, so Matt's, Matt's, Matt's hitting the bag, the punching bag, and we get these little intercuts of, uh, you know, the, our, our villains and, and their craziness. Oh, yeah, there's yeah, there's the cop who tried to kill Karen. Yeah. His daughter finds him. Oh, That's sad. Yeah. So, but then we have the setup for the next episode in which the kid gets kidnapped, and we see Matt. Well, that's key. That is very key. That's very key. Uh, we see Matt on the the rooftop, the classic hero pose on the rooftop. Not, not, not the superhero landing pose. Very not important. Not superhero landing pose because it's bad knees. That's right. Um, you didn't even watch that movie. I didn't, but I know that's a thing. <laughs> You've got to watch it. It's so good. One of these years. Uh, one of these days, sir. Yeah, maybe. Um, we see Madame Gao's heroin trade run by all blind people. We're going to, when it gets to the end of the first season, we're going to have some serious discussions on Madame Gao because there is a certain emblem that's being stamped mm-hmm. on these heroin packages. Oh, yeah. Boom, boom, boom. That, that is going to lead to something coming up in the future. We'll get to all that. Don't worry. So, like you said, though, the Russians kidnap the kid. Uh, they throw him in the van, and Matt gets up on the on the rooftop, and, you know, the hero, the hero pose, like you said. And that's where we leave this episode. And uh, that leads us into episode two, which you're going to have to wait until the next episode of this podcast to for us to dive into that but oh oh we will oh. we might even have to live count i don't know what we'll, we'll no, to, that one i just want i want to discuss because can, can, can we watch the last part of it at least yeah we can do that okay cool. we can do it. cool we can do it. uh so yeah man that's that's the first episode of daredevil and like in summation like it sets up everything brilliantly i mean very tight 
you get a sense of the world that, that Matt lives in, you get a sense of the characters, and as a, as a fan, I will say it, man, over and over, damn, they did it right. They've, they they really did it did. so right. If and it could have went so wrong. It really could have. If, you, if you've read the comics and you're familiar with the character, like I said, that moment we were all in my place, you, me, and Hoffer just looked at each other like, wow. Yeah. Did I stay for the second episode? Yes. No. I did I? Yeah, you did. Okay, because that's after that's when we really were like we were all looking at each other, just like what just happened. I was what just I, happened. <laughs> I am not ashamed to admit it. I I'll be the first one to say that I I mean when it comes to like movies and things like that, I'm an easy cry. Oh, you! I was, I was wiping away tears at that second, the ending of that second episode. I think I was just like that. I had goosebumps, but again, that's we're getting ahead of ourselves. So uh, that's our that's our episode recap. That's our of first Daredevil. episode. That's our first episode the of the first podcast. Episode of the hey, Devil's Day. Look at that episode. Somehow, someone, someone out there is like, so is this all they're going to do is like talk about how great it is? Yeah, we're going to we're, we're do our things. <laughs> well, uh, yeah, that's kind of the point. Like, comic reviews. We're going we're gonna to let Drew kind of stretch his legs in different areas. Ooh. You never know what's going to pop up on this What am show. I doing? It's going to be a lot of fun. Oh, no. Well, you like to cook and whatnot. And I do like, like to, to cook, and I do like to brew beer. Hmm. Hmm. Devil's do. What rhymes with do? Well, you'll see. And like. It's set in Hell's Kitchen. Hmm. Oh, the possibilities. But in the meantime, again, like we mentioned in the beginning of the show, if you want, you can follow us on Twitter at Devil's Due Pod. You can find us on Facebook. You can search The Devil's Due or uh, Facebook.com. I believe it's forward slash Devil's Due Pod. Uh, usually it's easiest just, just to the, you know, the slash. Just, the, you'll find search. it. Do the search. The Devil's Do. There you go. Uh, follow us on those. You can email email us at devilsdo at gmail.com. I think it might actually be Devil's Do Pod. I should probably <laughs> know that for the next episode. It's not going to matter. <laughs> it's, it's, it's Trust email. me. It's email. So, yeah, you can also follow myself on Twitter. Um, I am Carl Duty. My tag is at, is at the real big duty. See, it's a, it's a multiple meaning. It's plan words. Because <laughs> I'm a large man. And my last name is Duty. I, I, I got you. Yeah, yeah, I'm yeah. with you. Um, you are not on Twitter, are you? I lurk. You lurk. You don't, yeah, you, you don't want to follow me. You, you can follow my band, though, if you want. And yes, I, you are the front man for the premier heavy metal band in Buffalo, New York. Premier. Long Cold Dark. The Long Cold Dark. And for us, for you comics fans who uh, your, your spider senses might be tingling, yes, I got the name from a Punisher comic arc. Garth nothing Ennis, Max Run. No, that's not a damn thing wrong with that. So yeah, if you want to follow that, that's you know that's a a place where I lurk on Twitter. And your guys' latest album just dropped last month. Uh, end of um, yeah, the end of April actually. All right, so that would be two months ago. Then. Something like that. Okay. I don't know. I, uh, but you can find that on iTunes, iTunes, Amazon MP3, Spotify, uh, anywhere uh, CD Baby. Um, I prefer you go to our official uh, store, which is the longcoldark.bigcartel.com um, because if you buy it from us there, we actually get all the money for it as opposed to iTunes, which takes like 30% right off the top. So, you know, but hey, I don't really care to be honest with you. This is not a money-making enterprise, so if you want to check that out, I would be uh, more than happy uh, to uh, have you check it out. And maybe we so. can talk during being a little more frequent on Twitter, communicating with the people. You, you know, I, I'll, I, give them, I'll give them the password and the I'm a good lurker. The, the devil's do Twitter handle. And I take in the information. I don't necessarily have to uh, wade in the pool. Yeah. Um, we definitely want to hear from you. Let yeah. us know what you think of the show. Uh, if you got any suggestions for stuff that you'd like to see us do, we're going to be doing, like we mentioned, some comic reviews. We'll be doing some like geek culture news here and there, things like that. Big stories we're going to talk about. Like when a new Marvel film comes out or like pretty much well, any, like we'll, most comic We'll talk films. about the big we'll, stuff. We'll give you a review. Um, but yeah. Yeah. First episode. In the bag. We'll have to, you know, work out some kinks and whatnot, but yeah, that's yeah, pretty good. We got to think of a clever thing to say for, you know, the, the ending. Outro. The ending. Hmm. Damn. I got nothing. Fair enough. Well, Carl, yeah, it's been fun. It's been awesome. And we will see you listeners or talk to you listeners next week. Next week. Probably. <laughs> <laughs>